This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyTShirt.com. This is the Coast to Coast podcast. I'm your host for this one, John Siegley, joined by Sean Moran and, and Sherelle McMillan. We're actually going to be wrapping in the post-game podcast for the UNC versus UVA game that just ended minutes ago. Let's go ahead and start with Sherelle for this one because Sean and I were talking a little bit off air before the podcast began. Sherelle, I mean, it was just an ugly game. I think a lot of UNC fans anticipate this going in, but how UNC lost this one, I think, is what really bothers most people. When you're looking at just overall trends and thoughts at the at the end of the game, what do you have to say about this one? Well, I mean, it was a typical Carolina trip to UVA, right? Uh, there wasn't anything different about this particular group. When Carolina goes to UVA, they generally lose the last few years. They generally shoot poorly, which they did again tonight. And they generally turn the ball over, which they did again tonight. So as far as the UVA portion of it, um, it wasn't any different. Now, if you want to take that game and then look at the sample size of um, the beginning of the season and say, okay, where are the trend? Then I think that tells a, a little bit more of a, or paints more of a dire picture um, than this individual game. But to me, this is just UNC at UVA the last few years. This, this is what it is. Um, wasn't anything particularly different. All right, Sean, what about you? What were your overall thoughts on the game now that we're at the end of it here? Yeah, I think going into it, uh, I think everybody was hoping for a better effort coming out of Ohio State. Uh, unfortunately, it was another game under 50 points, a rather frustrating game. I know, as Sherelle mentioned, it's kind of a usual trip to UVA, but similar to UNC, this is not a typical UVA team. Uh, they're ranked in the top 10, but right now they're definitely not, I would say, a, you know, a strong, strong squad with how much they lost last year. And unfortunately, in this game, we let their bench uh, get to us and... I think you, you, coming into the game, UVA was one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the country at uh, 23%, and at one point they were six for 11. So overall, it was it was frustrating. Uh, you know, there were some good moments. I still don't know how um, Armando was was back and, and playing. I expected him to be out several weeks. Uh, so, that, you know, it was nice to see him back, and I think he did have some, some strong moments outside of the foul shooting. But Overall, it kind of left, you know, still a lot of questions that people had been been asking this week, and it'll be interesting. We have one game with Wofford before going at Gonzaga, which will be another tough, uh, tough opponent and a tough matchup. So a lot of questions out there that hopefully can start to get get answered over the next few weeks. And I'll, I'll add to uh, John, I'm not trying to be dismissive of how poorly North Carolina played, but um, I think you have to, again, just consider that this was the best defensive team in the country. So um, for a team that struggles to score when you're paying a team who's better than anybody else in the country at defense, it's going to look ugly. Um, 
Now, the hope is, is that once they get a little bit of schedule relief, there's not a ton over the next month because um, they played some really good teams. The hope is that they can build some confidence because I think to me, that's what I see more than anything lacking. I think there are still players with skills despite what they've shown. I just think they don't have any confidence right now because outside of Oregon, it's been a pretty rough couple of weeks. Um, so that's that's my impression. Like I said, I don't I don't mean to be dismissive of how poorly they played, but um, it's just I, I'm not trying to be that guy, but it's just not surprising for them to play that bad at UVA. Yeah, I think you do have to take into account who the heels are going up against. But I think the issue that I saw was just a continuing trend of UNC just not being able to run the offense as much as they tried. And at this point, I don't know if it's because there's just a mental block there where the players, they have been instructed what to do, but for whatever reason, they're not being able to put that to actual effect on the court. Or if you just have guys that just simply aren't a good fit for the offense and are not running it, period. Sean, what are your thoughts on that? Do you put it more on just the players are not executing or that it really does go to just the pieces themselves are not really fitting properly this year? I think I would say a lot of it is the the pieces and trying to figure out how those do go together. Um, you know, I, th- I did think that Armando and Garrison played decent overall. And usually when you play against the UVA team that likes to double out of the post, um, you know, sometimes you'll get one or two easy baskets, but you also get a decent amount of turnovers. And I did think they did, they did well, but uh, overall, I think it's really just trying to figure out the pieces. Uh, You know, it's a poor outside shooting team and also a team that isn't that great off the dribble on the guard and the wing spots. Uh, You know, I think Cole had a few good moves where he did attack, but once again, it was a, another subpar game from what is supposed to be your, your top player. Uh, I thought Leakey had some good moments as well. And, you know, little by little is starting to figure out his game and where he can excel, but overall has had a slow, slow start to the season. Um, but right now, you know, there's a lot of guards and not a lot of shot makers and that can kind of clog things up. So I really think it's, it's kind of a, a mixture of the pieces and, you know, maybe with Anthony Harris coming in and that could add a jolt because at the same time we have two grad transfers that, you know, I think people were expecting a little bit out of and and today and as, as I have most of the season have not provided, you know, a, a strong lift. What's your take on that, Sherelle? Do you think that it's a fit or is it just the players not coming down to being able to execute what Roy Williams is teaching them? I thought Sean's answer was perfect. Um, the, the parts are disparate at the moment. And um, because of that, they're trying to um, instill chemistry during the season, knowing that at least three of the, well, knowing that four of the players at minimum won't be back on the team next year. So that adds pressure. And you um, add into that, that Cole Anthony has talked about as, you know, a top five pick. You add in that North Carolina was um, probably rated a little bit too highly in the preseason as a top 10 team. I don't think anyone, who covers them day-to-day or follows them day-to-day thought that they were that type of team, even with college basketball being down. But you start adding all that together with, hey, we've only got 20-some-odd games to figure this out. And that pressure can impact people. And then you add that pressure with the lack of confidence with the disparate parts, and you get these ugly performances. So I think it's a little bit of everything, um, but I would lean more towards the parts just at, at the moment, trying to fit them all together. It's just not working. 
But let's go ahead and talk about Cole Anthony because, you know, he lit the college basketball world kind of on fire there with his first two games, came in scoring like we have not seen out of a UNC freshman. However, I think that he just has way too much riding on his shoulders. I mean, we've seen now for the last couple games that he takes it upon himself to kind of be everything for the Tar Heels on offense. And unfortunately, it's not been working for him today. He shot four of 15, one from six from three. And out of those three-point attempts, there were only a couple that I really felt that he shot within the rhythm of the offense. When it comes to his performances, Sean, how do you think he can pull himself out of this slump and really be the point guard that can run every aspect of Roy Williams' offense? Sure. You know, tonight he didn't have any any assists, which uh, as, as a point guard, especially a Roy Williams' offense, is, is troubling. But... The last two games, one for 13 from three, uh, has really struggled overall um, and had several, you know, he had six turnovers in this uh, in this game as well. But there were some bright spots. And once again, it involved him attacking the basket. And I know he, he kind of seeks contact when he's when he's going into the into the lane. And a lot of times so far, the referees have not been willing to, to call that. However, I think if he is able to pick his spots and put pressure on the defense um, that can once again, help him get going from a closer range because he has a 40, 42 inch vertical. So he can explode off of two feet and he can finish against uh, the taller players, but it could also ideally open up things for others on the wing or the big men as well. So I think for him, you know, it can't be just settling for deep contested three pointers. He has to continue to look to attack, which, you know, against UVA was was not that great, but they're the top uh, top defensive team in the country. So I think when that opens up, uh, whether it's Gonzaga or Wofford, he continues to need to put pressure on the defense. And Sherelle, what about you as far as Cole Anthony? Why do you think he has struggled as late here? Um, part of it is, uh, again, Sean said the best, part of it is the pressure that he's, or actually you said that, uh, how much he has on his shoulders. Um, but part of it is, you know, if you're looking at North Carolina, you say, what else do I have to be afraid of? Like, no disrespect to any of – anytime anybody says no disrespect, they're about to say something mean. But, you know, the other players on the team right now aren't making shots. And if – I think someone said it on, on the broadcast, if you say, okay, what do I need to stop about, you know, uh, from North Carolina? You say, call Anthony. And then you say after that, you say, well, make sure, you know, limit Armando Baycott's touches. And after that, it's like, well, eh, there's not much there this season offensively. And I'm not saying they can't get there. But I think that's part of it, too. The pressure, um, just that nobody seemingly can make an outside shot right now. Um, and then that he's number one in the scouting report and scouting report and probably number two as well. You stop Anthony and North Carolina has absolutely no shot of winning a game. Um, and I think, you know, he'll see that kind of defense. He'll see that kind of pressure the rest of the season. I think he's up for it. I think he'll readjust. I think this week break will be good for everyone. Um, and then I think you'll start seeing him get better and, and, you know, hopefully the team get better as they just, you know, play more together. Cause they're still, and, and again, people are going to say, I'm making excuses, make, making excuses are trying to be positive, but they're like 40 practices in um, they're nine games in with guys who have never played together before in their entire lives. And they have to get it all together over the next couple of months. So it, it's going to take time. Um, you hope that they can, um, learn some lessons while also winning, but that it hasn't, you know, happened in the last couple of games, but maybe it will happen moving forward. 
Let's take a quick moment to talk about our friends at Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. They are your place to go for Carolina gear. The holidays are right around the corner, and if you need a gift idea for the Tar Heel fan in your family, you can head to Franklin Street where you can shop at the Giant T-Shirt location where they've been in business for decades. They have the absolute best customer service, and they have anything that you could want for your holiday wish list. If you can't make it to Chapel Hill, you can always shop at GiantT-Shirt.com. You can get the same great customer service and still have that same awesome selection. And remember that if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get 10% off of your orders either there on Franklin Street or online at GiantT-Shirt.com. You can get that 10% off code from the Basketball Premium Message Board or the Tar Pit Premium Message Board. So that's Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com, your place to go for Carolina gear. Let's transition over to the defense, guys, because UNC overall, I felt that they played okay on defense. I mean, they did hold Virginia to only 32.7% shooting, which given Virginia's lack of offense this year is kind of a red herring. The biggest thing that I thought that UNC struggled at was they gave Virginia way too many open looks from three. UVA ended up being six for 17. But Sean, you mentioned before that at one point UVA was six for 11, I believe. So when you're looking at the defense tonight, why do you think UNC did struggle to keep their eyes on the Virginia shooters? Well, I think they started off really well contesting a lot of shots being smart boxing out and then as the game went they started to really collapse and help down you know way too much whether it was Clark penetrating or one of the bigs in the post you would often find three people uh trying to trying to help and then with one or two passes that would lead to a wide open shooter and even though UVA had really struggled um you know people can make wide open shots so I think it was a, a mixture of really overhelping. And then at the same time, one of the things that was frustrating as the game went on was really just giving them free points. There was four or five uh, possessions where we fouled either a three-point shooter or somebody taking a deep two. Um, and it was really after the act of shooting. So most likely, given U- UVA's percentages on the year, is going to be a missed shot. And now we're you know setting them to the line for two or three shots. And they're pretty pretty good free throw shooting team. So Overall, the defense started off strong, uh, really frustrated UVA, uh, forced some turnovers. But then once they settled down, they were able to get uh, much better shots on on our defense as they moved the ball around. I thought really the what Sean said, the fouls um, late in the shot clock, that and offensive rebounding were the key to the games. So obviously, outside of North Carolina's you know, future shooting, um, it was 35-39, I believe. So Carolina had cut it to four, and it looked like they had a defensive stop. And then there was a foul called on Cole Anthony as Clark was shooting a three and went to 42. And I think there was another uh, sequence similar the next time Virginia got the ball. And it was a 6 nothing run, and they hadn't made a field goal in, in over seven minutes. So mm-hmm. I, I thought the defense functioned pretty well except for those couple of plays. And, you know, North Carolina never got within striking distance again after that. So to me it was more about the second chance points or, or the just – the ability for UVA to kind of be a ball control offense because they got 11 offensive rebounds and 11 offensive rebounds. Maybe it doesn't seem like a lot, but I would argue Sean that against UVA, that's a ton because that's, you know, 20 more seconds off the shot clock most of the time um, and not the game clock. So, you know, I thought those two things were important as well. 
Well, speaking about those free throws, Sherelle, do you think that those were the players themselves just not properly closing out? Or do you think that UVA kind of got away with a few flops? Because I think there was some minimal contact on some of those, but I think it was Armando had one that was just, he got way too close to the UVA shooter. Brooks had one as well. What were your thoughts on watching those transpire? I always say, you know, um, don't put yourself in that situation. So if you're closing out hard, you know, just make sure you don't touch the guy. And maybe that's easier said than done from, you know, watching in the living room to outside being on the floor. That's one thing. Just don't just don't go there, you know, contest and do your best to make sure that uh, they don't get a great look. But also, you know, don't go barreling into someone. It happened time and time again. And and you just take, you know, you just kill your momentum when you do that. And that's uh, I thought the announcer during the game actually made a great point that, the struggles on offense, you know, it just causes just a little bit of slippage and just a little bit of slippage against UVA results in, you know, three foul shots with, after you commit a foul with one second left on the shot clock after 34 seconds of great defense. The officials, I thought overall for this game, I mean, UNC has no room to complain about bad officiating considering how poorly they shot the ball. There were a couple, though, missed calls like the carry on Virginia at the end of the first half. I mean, Sean, was I just completely blind watching that? Because it looked to me like their point guard just completely did a textbook carry, and that went uncalled. I texted one of my UVA friends right after that that happened because when they showed the replay, uh, you know, it reminded me of some of Iverson's moves way back, way back when. But that was a big, uh, big basket for them going into the half, uh, just kind of putting a little bit of a, a cushion uh, at that point in time. And, you know, I, I think there is some times where Cole was either driving to the basket or the, the big guys um, were going up and. You know, there was a lot of contact, but the rest were letting everybody play. Um, so, that, you know, going forward, you just have to kind of uh, finish finish through that. And, you know, if both both teams, Ohio State and UVA, uh, they play very physical defense with the, the pack line style. And you just have to be that much more aggressive to, to get by defenders in, in that instance. Physical is a polite way of putting it. Sherelle, did, did you have any thoughts on that, though? Now, you, like you said, physical is a polite way of putting it, and I like to be polite. So, <laughs> You know, I think the other thing that really stuck out to me in this one, guys, was just how UNC was not able to get any transition points at all. That's to be expected when you're playing against UVA, but I think in most games, Carolina has still been able to at least get out there and stretch them occasionally. But tonight, I mean, if UNC had more than six points on the break, I would be shocked. I think Cole Anthony, he had one kind of attack when when he took it. He got an and one layup. I don't recall another one. Why do the Tar Heels just struggle so much with that? Sherelle, let's let you get the first word on this one. I, I'm go- I was actually going to defer to Sean because um, uh, I'm curious his answer because I, I don't have I don't have an answer. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not it's not that they don't have ACC level athletes. It's not that they don't have a point guard who can push tempo. It's not because they don't have big men who can run rim to rim. So I, I don't I don't understand it either. Yeah, I mean, as you said, John, you kind of expect that against UVA, they they really do a good job of cutting off transition, but. With with both Cole and and Leaky on the floor, you would expect uh, with really two two valves uh, that you would see a lot more a lot more uh, fast break opportunities. And you know the tempo is I think the slowest in the Roy Williams era. And if if you look at transition points, um, you know it's probably one of the worst of the Roy Williams era as well. And they have the athletes, um, but once again, it's just not it's not happening. So I don't 
you know, there's definitely not an answer, but you would like to see, uh, you know, once the rebound gets it of, of Cole working a little harder to push it. I mean, last year, Kobe did an amazing job as a freshman of, of really pushing the, the tempo. And I think Cole has been a little reluctant to, to really push as hard as he can, um, but also utilizing Leaky a little bit more in terms of, of letting him push it as well. Um, granted, some of those decisions he's made early on in the early on in the season haven't been the best, but you know, for UNC that is not getting, they're not going to turn into a three point shooting team uh, really this season. And they really need to capitalize on trying to find easy opportunities to score, uh, especially with, with the big men being able to run the floor. Let me throw out this idea to you guys to see what would you consider about this? How about UNC playing a zone defense? Because they have a lot of length and I think that that might help them out with at least trying to limit the amount of open looks opponents are getting. Now, Roe Williams, he has thrown out the zone occasionally, but he is a man-to-man coach. Given that this year's lineup, though, what are your thoughts on UNC potentially throwing out like a 2-3 or even a 3-2 zone? I mean, we could talk about it, but it's not going to happen for more than a couple positions a game. So uh, right. it's kind of it's kind of a moot point because, he, he, you know, Roe Williams is, is um, he'll adapt, but he believes in his core principles and he's won so many games over so many years with his core principles of secondary break and two bigs and man-to-man defense and, and those kind of things. And I, I just don't see him um, changing those, you know, especially midseason. Yeah, I don't think we'll see a uh, 2015, uh, you know, Duke Duke changeup where they went completely uh, zone after just being gashed in their in their man-to-man defense. And when Carolina does go zone, you know, usually it's a few uh, a few quick passes, and there's going to be a wide open shooter in the corner or somewhere else. So, you know, it it really just they just need to be more physical getting through screens. I think for you know going back to the Ohio State game, that was one thing that really caught my attention was when UNC was on defense, you had Ohio State setting physical screens where once the ball handler went around the screens, they had an advantage versus when UNC was setting screens, the Ohio State team would basically just run right through them um, and there wasn't any advantage created. So I think you know they just need to play a little more on the physical side and just continue to work on on not leaving shooters wide open um, you know throughout the second half. I actually think that UNC did a decent job on screens tonight because it looked like they were instructed to just go under every single screen, which against this UVA team, I think is the right call. The issue I felt was just miscommunication. When UVA got at least two dunks, one in the first half, I remember one in in the second half where it was just a simple slip. And I think one was Justin Pierce rotated to cover a guy from the three point line rather than go and get whoever was, you know, three feet from the basket. I think it's just miscommunications, but when we're so few games into the season, Sherelle, do you think that that is something that will improve as we just continue to play more and more games? That's certainly the coaching staff's hope that it will. Um, I think it will with, with time and with practice. And um, again, you know, this schedule, not making excuses, but this is not an easy schedule. This is not a chance for you to, um, you know, get your get your confidence and get your chemistry built against teams who you're more talented than. That hasn't been North Carolina's um, opportunity. They haven't had the opportunity this uh, season so far, and they won't over really the next month or so because ACC play has already started. And then you know you're nothing but ACC play uh, once it becomes 2020. Um, so 
I, I think it will get better, but it's just going to be practice. And for this team, I think really the the Christmas break, um, the holiday break moving forward after exams are over is going to be really, really key because that's a chance for them to be 100% basketball, to be focused, um, a really a chance for them to get better. So um, I, I think it's the coaching staff's hope that they can get through, um, you know, these next couple of weeks, you know, maybe when split UCLA, split Gonzaga, you know, win one of those two games out on the West Coast, you know, win the games they're supposed to win, um, get into practice and just really try to get better that way because it's, it's just not happening. Chemistry isn't being, being built on the court and it needs to be built to practice. All right, let's go ahead and get final thoughts on the UVA game from you, Sean. What do you think was the one thing that UNC must improve upon just from this one particular game moving forward? Because we'll talk more long-term stuff in our in our final part of the podcast. But for right now, UVA, what was the one thing you noticed that must get fixed? Well, I think there's a lot that must get fixed on the offensive end, but I would just I would just say on the defensive end of of working on on not collapsing, you know, three defenders at a time and leaving wide open shooters, uh, because that you know that's a easy way to let teams catch fire, especially in the the ACC. And just trying to transitioning off real quick. I know we've we've talked about a lot of negatives, but I did you know it was great to see one Jeremiah Francis get some action after being injured for for so long and. Anthony Harris in his limited time did, did show some flashes. So uh, there's a lot to work on, but hopefully, um, you know, some bright days ahead as well. All right, well, let's go ahead and take a commercial break. And when we get back, let's transition over to the coast to coast part of the podcast. We'll put the UVA game behind us. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back with the Inside Caroline podcast. John Siegel here with Sean Moran and Sherelle McMillan. So, guys, let's go ahead and start talking about the upcoming games. UNC plays Wofford. Then they have to go to Gonzaga. So, kind of a, a tune-up, warm-up game, but then a huge opponent coming up very, very soon. So, Sherelle, if UNC is going to really start building momentum and they have to start beating some of these teams. I think if they're going to be a true contender to make the NCAA tournament, I mean, that is something that is not a guarantee. I don't feel like at this point. So the fact that, that the Wofford game is coming up next, then they have to go to Gonzaga. What do you think the coaching staff is going to be telling the players about this short stretch of games? I think first off, you know, after today, they're going to tell them to get ready for exams, you know, prepare and give them they're going to have a few days off and then they'll come back. And I think uh, the coaching staff will just have an honest assessment of saying this is where we're at. 
this is what we're doing well, which the list won't be long. And this is what we're not doing well and we need to improve. And this is our plan for improvement. Now, obviously you can't do that. But like I said, but so much in games, they need to be Wofford and they need to be uh, prepared to play a hard game. They don't need to go into it saying this is a warm up because this team has shown that, you know, when you when you're not scoring, you can lose to anyone. And, you know, Wofford and other teams have come into, I guess they'll be in Carmichael, but have come into the Smith Center and gave North Carolina scares or beaten North Carolina. So um, that's something that they need to have focused mentally on Wofford and just Wofford. And then once the Wofford game is over, <clears throat> then you turn your attention to Gonzaga. Now, I would be absolutely shocked if they found a way to win at Gonzaga. Um, but you just want to make sure that they play well, that they do things the right way, the way Coach Williams asked. And that's the way you start building momentum. You know, you can't control at this point who you're going to play, but you can control, and this is cliche, but you can control um, how you play and with the effort that you play with. So if you do those two things, focus, um, just worry about yourself, do your job, all those cliches, if, but, you know, they really matter. If you do all that, by the time you get to UCLA, hopefully you've built some momentum and then you can start moving forward into January. But, um, you know, Wofford isn't a guaranteed win by any stretch of the imagination, and they definitely shouldn't act like it. Yeah, that's a very good point as well, that UNC cannot overlook Wofford. They can't overlook any team with how poor they're playing currently on offense. That must get fixed. But, Sean, let's go ahead and expand a little bit on something that you mentioned, which was a, a good point, that UNC saw some minutes from Anthony Harris and Jeremiah Francis, which Harris had the more impressive introduction, I guess you could call it. You know, He only played six minutes, but he scored his, his two field goals. He showed a pretty good handle as well. I think that if he's able to go and help out Cole Anthony at the guard spot, that could be big as far as UNC goes for the future here. So if Carolina is getting those guys back along with Armando Baycott apparently being healthy and able to play, do you think that that will be something that could provide them a boost when they play Wofford and then eventually have to face off against Gonzaga? Yeah, definitely. I think it'll be good just to get a week of practice, uh, you know, under everybody's belt and, and have the Wofford game at home before going to Gonzaga. But you really have a week and a half uh, before the next, you know, big game. And sure, it's going to, you know, it's a road game playing in a tough atmosphere. But I think Gonzaga is, you know, on, on, on a similar similar level to Carolina. Um, you know, they beat Oregon by a point in overtime and got crushed by Michigan. So, you know, two similar opponents at the Battle of Atlantis. But yeah, I was, um, you know, I was surprised to see Anthony Harris today. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how he's worked into the rotation. Obviously, you don't want to expect too much from him coming off the, the ACL injury. But I thought he had, uh, there's definitely some nice athleticism, as, as well as a few, you know, hit a few shots. So I think both from an offensive standpoint of, of taking some of the weight off of uh, off of uh, Cole's shoulders, as well as on the defensive standpoint of bringing some uh, speed and, and strength uh, on the defensive end. And I, I wonder, um, to your point, Sean, you know, Christian Keeling and, and Justin Pierce have been given opportunities to play and uh, contribute, and maybe they're not quite at the level that Williams wants them. I wonder if he starts to give a little more opportunity to Harris uh, specifically just because we know um, he's used to playing with good players. Uh, we know he has a pedigree for winning both at his high school and um, on his AAU team. And we know that he's most known for uh, def his defense on, uh, you know, in high school and on the AAU circuit. So I wonder at one point, do you start saying, okay, you know, maybe we need to get Harris a few more minutes, obviously knowing that 
he's coming off an ACL injury and he can't, you can't run him into the ground immediately. But I just think, you know, maybe that's one of the conversations the coaching staff has and tries to figure out ways to get him more involved if he's playing well in practice and doing things that they want him to do. Yeah. Just to add one more thing to that, I I think definitely, you know, Keeling has, has been given opportunities and, and hasn't produced, Um, you know, I was, I was looking back at his, how he did last year and he shot the ball really well from the wings. And, you know, obviously so far he hasn't proven that ability and the game is much faster at this level than it was at, at Georgia Southern. Um, But maybe, you know, if he's playing five to eight minutes and he's able to, you know, carve out a role as, you know, he comes in and gets one to two threes per game, uh, you know, maybe that's more of where, where he should be. And then you can have Harris coming in and, and offering a little bit more of, of kind of the usage rate that, that one can expect from, you know, from a shooting guard. So I think it'll definitely be interesting. And I mean, as for Pierce, he, he's, uh, you know, he's kind of the third, the third big man in the rotation. So he's still, still necessary, but uh, I think Harris will, will definitely provide a boost. And, you know, when you look at that ACC schedule, it's definitely not murderer's row on the front end. So, you know, they have three three home games to kick things off and then some road games, uh, but not against, you know, the most vaunted opponents. So once again, it's just some, some more time to get the chemistry together and, and try to figure out the correct roles and responsibilities for everybody. Well, speaking about the ACC, I wanted to go there next because the fan base is already, you know, questioning whether or not this year's UNC squad will make the NCAA tournament, which it is, I think, a a legitimate thing to worry about given the showings. But if there's one kind of silver linings to that, I think it's that this year there's just no really good teams in college basketball except for maybe Louisville. So let's get your thoughts on on that with Sean. You know, you being the West Coast guy. Gonzaga is a team that a lot of fans are worried about playing, but out of what you've seen just in all of college basketball and the ACC in particular, do you really think that there are a lot of truly great teams this year, or is this just going to be kind of a year long slog? Yeah. I mean, I think really over the last, I feel four to five years, everybody coming in, it's always, Oh, college basketball is, is down. Look at everybody that was, that was lost this last year, but this year, that's really the case. I mean, you know, you have Louisville as the number one team and you watch that game against Michigan. I think they had one guy with an offensive rating over a hundred. Uh, you had Michigan state. They've looked like a, a pretty average team and um, you know, you can kind of go on and on throughout the country. So I think this year, yeah, there it's, it's a very mediocre year in college basketball. Uh, you know, in terms of the ACC, there's definitely some teams that, are better than others. I mean, I think Louisville and Duke are, are the class of the conference. Um, and then, you know, it, it's kind of a steep drop off. UVA is not the UVA of old UNC is, is not a typical North Carolina team. So, you know, I, I do think from a talent perspective, there, there is reason to worry about the tournament, but at the same time, there isn't really anybody or a lot of teams that can, you know, take the, you know, take that opportunity or take that open spot. So I think for UNC, it's really just, you know, trying to get better chemistry and once again, taking advantage of of how the front of the ACC schedule is because the back uh, looks a lot more challenging. So the January, February timeframe is going to be really important to, to win the games that they should be able to win. And one last thing in terms of 
Gonzaga. Um, you know, I, I do think that's that is a winnable game, even though it's it's on the road and in a tough environment. Um, you know, Gonzaga lost a lot from last year as well. So they're kind of going through a lot of the same things of, you know, they have two really good bigs and and mixing in some role players from last year as well as some grad transfers. So once again, I think, um, you know, would I love to see a win from Gonzaga and UCLA? Yes, I, I do think that could could happen. But, um, you know, it's it's going to be a interesting rest of the season for sure, where every game is going to count. All right, so let's transition then to our final topic, which is going to be some recruit profiles where we're going to be looking at the incoming class of 2020. Sherelle, you just went up there and watched R.J. Davis up in New York. The full report is on the premium basketball message board. Everyone needs to go and read that. But can you give us just a quick little rundown of what you saw from R.J.? Yeah, uh, and we'll have more later on in the week uh, about R.J., but... Uh, you know, just like similar to the Walker Kessler, who we went and saw uh, in November, he was a player that we had seen a lot, but we didn't really know as a person, know a lot about because, they, you know, frankly, he didn't talk a ton. Um, so we wanted to go up there and, and just learn more about his story overall, but also to see him play again. And probably along with Caleb Love, um, I think me and Ben Sherman saw him more than anyone else this you know past AAU high school season. Uh, we saw him in Atlanta in April. We saw him at the MVPA Top 100 camp in June. We saw him at uh, Peach Jam in July. And then we saw him at CP3 camp in Winston-Salem again in July. So we, we have a, quite a few viewings of him. I think the most important thing is that he is another guy who's kind of wired to score. And as you can tell, you know, something North Carolina definitely needs and uh, will need next season with, you know, Robinson and Anthony and Pearson Keeling at minimum leaving. Um, so I, I think his skills translate immediately. Um, despite his height, you know, he's listed at six, six, one, but he's probably closer to five eleven. Um, but he's able to create space, uh, with his offense and he's able to make shots. I mean, he's going to more than likely break Kenny Anderson's Westchester County scoring record, career scoring record. And to anybody who is too young to remember Kenny Anderson, go YouTube him to people who do remember him. You know, he's, you know, arguably the most talented point guard to ever play in the ACC. And I know that's saying a lot and I know people are going to, raised it you know have their eyebrow raised at that but oh, the backlash I, is already <laughs> beginning I, and you i have I stand, started it i stand by it you know i didn't say best i said arguably the most talented and i stand by that um but that just tells you the kind of player he is the kind of consistency he's had over his high school career and i think that's what north carolina gets he is a very high floor high you know i would say low ceiling high floor player you know exactly what you're going to get from him um i don't think he'll leave for the nba after one or two years um but He's always going to be able to score. He's always going to be able to shoot, and he's a really good free throw shooter as well. Well, hearing that UNC is going to get just a pure scorer like that may give a lot of the UNC faithful some hope for, for future seasons. Sean, you've also been keeping tabs on some of UNC's other commits. What can you give us as an update for how their high school seasons are going so far? Well, I know Rel mentioned Caleb Love, and um, he he just finished off playing in the Chicago Elite Classic, which was he had a great performance against a future um, Illinois player, and Adam Miller. I think he had around 26 points. But one of the other guys, Puff Johnson, uh, was playing in the Hoopal West tournament uh, this past weekend with a game that was televised on ESPN2 on Thursday. Uh, their team played prolific prep with Jalen Green, which I believe Brad Frederick was at that that game and then they played uh saturday night 
against a team from Tennessee. And unfortunately, they, they lost both games in kind of a, a blowout style. The first game, which I know was talked about on the message boards, uh, was, was probably frustrating for any UNC fan to watch because Puff was, um, you know, definitely definitely didn't have a great game. And it was tough for him, him to even get, get open shots. Um, you know, at Hillcrest, they have uh, their point guards going to Arizona. And they have a few other, uh, I'd say, four or five-star prospects. And those guys seem to get... The majority of the attention um, didn't make it through the full game on Saturday, but I've watched bits and pieces and, and Puff started out a little better and was involved a little bit more in the offense. But overall, it was a team that, um, you know, it, it seemed just kind of throw them in the corner and and give them a pass every every now and then. So it's a little frustrating watching watching Puff. And, and I think that kind of goes to another point that was brought up on the message boards of, you know, is UNC done in the recruiting class and can they get a, another wing prospect, which is easier, um, you know, said than done. So overall, uh, you know, nothing to write home about in terms of Puff's uh, performance this weekend, but a lot of that was due to kind of the team he's been been put on this year. All right, guys, let's go ahead and do one final positive thing. I feel that this podcast, especially coming off of the UVA loss, you know, we were un- understandably down on that result. But let's go ahead and wrap this one up with something that the listeners can say is a positive for the UNC basketball program for this season. Sherelle, let's go ahead and get your thoughts. What is one thing that you can say is at least a glimmer of hope that the Carolina fans listening in can say to themselves moving into the rest of the season? Cole Anthony really has only had one you know, truly outstanding game in North Carolina. Um, and we all know how talented he is. You know, his numbers, frankly, look bad. His shooting percentage, his turnover to assist ratio, all that stuff um, isn't great. So I think you can see him continuing to improve. I think Armando Baycott has answered all the questions we've had about, you know, North Carolina being able to throw the ball into the post and score. So you have that. Those are two important things. I think Garrison Brooks is still Garrison Brooks, very solid and a great defensive player. And then they just need – um, they need, and I think they'll get just one more guy to step up and be confident. Because I think right now the issue, more than anything, with Leakey and with Keeling and with Pierce and with Playtech, and to some degree Brandon Robinson, is just they're not. I don't think they're really confident in themselves, and they have to find a way to develop that. The staff has to find a way to instill that in them. And I think if you have, you know, Cole and and Baycott operating at a high level, Garrison Brooks being solid. And then one of those guys stepping up and being confident, I think the team can win some games. All right, Sean, final word is yours. You can either steal some of what Sherelle said or you can give us something that's original to your own. Go ahead, man. <laughs> uh, definitely not original, and, and Sherelle men- mentioned it, but I think for me, you know, the, the positive is Armando Bicot. One, in terms of his overall play. Two, because of him not being out two to three weeks, which I think a lot of people uh, probably anticipated. Uh, he's been getting better every game. And as Sherelle mentioned, he's a guy that you can throw the ball to and you can get a bucket down low. So I think, you know, watching his improvement, because it does seem like he's getting a little bit better each and every game will be, will be fun. And then, you know, even looking forward to, to next year, it's a good problem to have of, you know, Brooks and Baycott and Kessler and Sharp. So you have potentially, we'll, we'll see what, what happens in terms of, you know, anybody leaving or anything like that, but you have four, legit bigs. Um, so now it'll be up to Roy and the coaching staff to figure out how to best utilize them. But I think from a, a front court perspective, the future, the future looks very good. 
We'll go ahead and wrap it up on that note. Thanks a lot for speaking with me, and we'll be back next week for another edition of the Coast to Coast podcast. For tonight, hope that you guys have a good rest of the evening. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.